We're just listening to the house of mercy, waiting for the waters to stir. It's often all caricature. It looks like military fan fiction until it's not. It's funny until it's scary. That's Joan Donovan uh, from the research director at the Shorenstein Center for on Media, Politics, and Public Policy at the Harvard Kennedy School. Really? Yeah. Oh. No, I know it does sound like something I would make up, but no. And I realized that that, uh, those, that attribution was longer than the actual quote. Quote, I'm going to read it again. It's often all caricature. It looks like military fan fiction until it's not. It's funny until it's scary. Yeah, it just sounds so much like uh, something you have in your sermon. That's why... I had a hard time leaving it. But anyway. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've just I've been heavily influenced by the uh, Shorenstein Center on Media, Politics, <laughs> and Public Policy at the Harvard Kennedy Business School. Um, and I guess they're not that well-known for being that quirky. <laughs> anyway. Well, hi, everyone. You know, I hope you're surviving these anxious times. Yeah. I guess if you're listening, you're surviving. But I hope even somehow more than surviving... There's something in your life that's thriving. Anyway, one way or the other, it's good to know you're out there with us listening to the House of Mercy podcast. Yeah, absolutely. It's good to be together as a community, and hopefully, in some way, this can feel like a community because these are times when you, yeah, you want to be, uh, you want to be with the people that you love and who love you, and people uh, with whom you, I don't know, move through life and share. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I petered out. I was thinking about something else. <laughs> um, you know, we had to think about the pledge drive, I guess. Oh, yeah. That's what I was thinking about. Yeah. Um, it. Boy, this has been a year, and I'm not, I don't need to tell anybody to repeat that again, but in it's coming up here in about another six weeks. It will be a year since we all, since we stopped meeting regularly. And uh, in that time, we have done, we have, I think we've really continued to be the House of Mercy and uh, that we've continued to create art opportunities to, for our writers to come out and reflect on these times and made music and thought theologically and, you know, question not only the text, but the culture and I don't know. Um, even though we miss gathering together, I think we are still still an important community, and uh, we really um, are grateful for all of you that continue to find meaning in it and to support it. So it is, yeah, it's pledge drive time once again. And uh, if you are a regular pledger, well, we hope that you have gone and uh, updated your pledge for the year. I understand if some people have to reduce their pledge. Uh, other people, if you can, oh, this is, would be a great time to, to increase it. In this last year, we have uh, cut the uh, all salaries by 25%, and uh, we've cut uh, our amount we pay in rent by 50%. So 
these are these are hard times for everybody, and we know that, and we've been making those adjustments. But uh, jump in and say something inspiring, Debbie. Say something inspiring, or just jump in. <laughs> um. <laughs> I mean, you got something inspiring. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's I'm so grateful for everyone who keeps pledging, and if you can pledge, think about it. If you can't pledge, that's fine too. But, but yeah. you, should, you should read all about it in the newsletter, and you'll actually be getting something in the mail. With I think there'll be a pledge card and everything. And there's going to be a survey with this whole pledge campaign because we'd love to hear from you how you would like House of Mercy to you know keep being community during these COVID times that don't seem to be on the brink of ending. No, yet. they do not. So. And so, uh, also, yeah, if you get the uh, the newsletter, the email newsletter, uh, you'll get all the facts there on pledging and a link to take the survey. And uh, if you don't get it, you can go to houseofmercy.org and sign up for it. All right. Well, we love you. We miss you. This is the House of Mercy, and welcome to it. I just can't let that go by, but um, it just sounded like you were quoting Trump there at the end. I know he shouldn't be able to co-opt those thoughts, but <laughs> I know that's not what you're doing. He, I don't think it's impossible to co-opt those thoughts. You, it is impossible. Those are uncooptable. You're right. I, I don't mean to interrupt, but this is the House of Mercy, and welcome to it. Please join me in the prayer of invocation. God of mercy, the unclean spirits seem to be rampant these days, whatever that even means. If there's some way that we can look at the wide expanse stretching out in every direction and see some evidence that love wins, or if not quite evidence, then even some small indications that there is reason or if not quite reason, then something truer than reasons to hope. Help us find our way there. Astonish us with your teachings. Amen. The peace of Christ be with you. There's a land beyond the river that we call the sweet forever and we only reach that shore by faith's decree one by one we'll gain the morals there to dwell Kingdom man's the spirit
Join me in the prayers of community. I'll end each prayer or petition with God in your mercy, and I invite you to respond. Hear our prayer. God of mercy, we'll just come right out and pray that Christian nationalism doesn't win the day. That instead of growing and building momentum, it will cease to grip the hearts and minds of people who are maybe afraid of losing something or whatever it is that draws them to believe you would have Christians save the nation through violence. Whatever we can do to help spread the good news of the nonviolent subversion of the empire of death, open us to it. Give us the energy. Remind us how to do it. Help us not to embody violence even when we have good reason to be angry. Help us not to hate even when we're hated. It doesn't seem like that works toward much good. Give us what we need to love our neighbors in these often unloving times. God in your mercy. God of mercy. Help us love your creation, this planet, the universe, not just in some sentimental way that makes us feel moved by the beauty, though some of that seems good and actually wonderful, but the way where we feel some responsibility to care for it. We pray this especially for the people with the most power to affect policies and those who continue to gain wealth through fossil fuels. Astound them with the beauty. Help all of us collectively to care for and tend the life all around us, not just our own or human. Thank you for this wild and intricate, beautiful and complex web of life. We pray for its well-being. God, in your mercy. God, in mercy, it's hard to fathom that you care for the intimate details of our lives our relationships to our friends and partners and children, that you care about our physical and mental and spiritual health. But we gather from what has been revealed to us that you do. Thank you. We can use help in all these areas. We pray that you will help us. Help us be loving parents and partners and friends. Help us bear the struggles that we have to endure with our bodies and minds and spirits. Make us better. Heal us. Give us strength or the capacity to be vulnerable if that's what we need. Be with us and help us know that you are. We pray this especially for those in the midst of struggle now. God, in your mercy... Our needs are all over the place. We have loved ones who need help. Sometimes it feels like the world is falling apart. We pray that you will hear our prayers, even those we can't articulate, as we pause for silence. You love us more than we can imagine. Help us imagine and lead us to mercy. Amen.
Tonight's reading is from the Gospel of Mark, verses 21 through 28. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It seems like the spell is broken. I mean, I think it is. I thought it would be broken when America woke up on that first Wednesday in November to learn that the Biden-Harris ticket had won in a landslide. Like waking up to discover the brown grass and dead leaves had been covered with a fluffy blanket of sparkling snow. The world transformed from the dead late fall and fallen landscape to a beautiful, brand new winter wonderland. Sunny, sparkling. But there wasn't a landslide. There were too close calls, too close to calls and calculated chaos. Even when the race was called for Biden-Harris five days later, there were still many, many people who continued to believe any new conspiracy lie or cynical misrepresentation, which built to the violent attack on the Capitol in an attempt to stop the Congress from certifying the election. Certainly the spell was broken. As the dust cleared from the insurrection and arrests were being, beginning to be made, when 25,000 National Guard were required to secure the Capitol for the inauguration of the 46th president, and when it went off without incident, when the country could celebrate, if not a return to a more united nation, at least a more sane, rational, compassionate nation, and the historic inauguration of the country's first woman and person of color as vice president, yes, certainly then the spell was broken. And it seemed as if, for the most part, it was. Things didn't look as ominous. Real issues of great concern could be addressed. There was no more intentional chaos. The gaslighting and endless manipulation of the news cycle was effectively shut down with Trump's Twitter account. And while so many seemed to change so quickly, and so much seemed to change so quickly, there were still folks under the spell of the unclean spirits. Still politicians who seemed to truly believe the lies. Still American citizens who had felt ignored and dismissed for so long that they could not let go of an ideology that put them in front and at the center. Even as the ideology was proven false, its conspiracies so insidious it caused them to abandon family and friends, abandon their long-held values and belief, to abandon the most basic lessons they were taught in Sunday school. Even as the grip of the 
evil hold on our nation was forced to loosen, they still were possessed by the unclean spirits. And these possessed by the unclean spirits are not just self-interested politicians or the strange and angry men warped by violence, but some of them are our family, our mothers and fathers and grandparents, cousins and brothers and sisters, friends and co-workers. Some of them are our neighbors. Jesus in the Gospel of Mark has no birth narrative. We don't get to read about his growing up strong and wise or his adolescent trip to the temple. No, in the Mark that we know, the Gospel of Mark, we know he walks into the beginning of Mark's Gospel at a brisk pace, just about to break into a run, determined, convicted, ready to get to work. Already by the 21st verse, in the first chapter, Jesus has been declared the Son of God by the prophet and by the Holy Spirit. He has gathered up his disciples and entered in the synagogue and started teaching, proclaiming the good news of God, that the time has been fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent, he says, and believe in the good news. And while he's teaching, a man with an unclean spirit cries out, Are you here to destroy us, Holy One of God? They're in the synagogue, the holy place, and even there, there are those possessed with unclean spirits. Jesus rebukes them, and the unclean spirits flee. Jesus is a teacher, but in Mark's gospel, Jesus is just as much an exorcist. He moves through the chapters of Mark, rebuking and casting out all the unclean spirits, doing battle with evil, all that evil that has found its way into God's creation. Mark seems like an ideal gospel for us today. We need the Jesus that will kick in the doors of the evangelical churches and the VFWs and cast out the unclean spirits that still hold our loved ones and fellow citizens in their grip. But this Jesus, Mark's Jesus, while well, he starts out at a fast pace, slows down by the end of the gospel. And it ends with Jesus being executed by Rome and his closest followers fleeing in fear. Well, this ending was problematic, so problematic for so many in the ancient church and over the history of interpretation that there have been several attempts made to clean it up. Clean it up by adding different endings, more triumphant, more powerful even though several of them are printed now in most Bibles as an additional ending or a longer ending, they are always printed with an asterisk explaining that they were mostly universally understood to be later editions and inconsistent with the original writing. There is one edition, though, that is never printed and is barely studied or discussed. That is what is known to those who know it as the additional or longer beginning of Mark's gospel. And sometimes it's seen as a separate gospel altogether under the title the gospel of Joseph, father of Jesus. And in this 
additional beginning or alternative beginning to Mark's gospel. As I read it, it places Jesus's initial fast and furious casting out of the unclean spirits in a larger context, one that might be even more important for us to understand in these strange and dark days, one that might help us hope for more than just the light rising over the horizon tomorrow morning, but to see a light rising beyond the hills of relevance. A reading from the Gospel of Joseph, father of Jesus. There are many stories of God's sudden intervention into the world. Many stories of miraculous inbreakings into the natural order and the lives of men and women. But one only needs to consider the growth of a tree or the light and the heat of the sun to understand that God's miraculous works usually unfold not in an instant or all of a sudden, but over time. They begin humbly and mostly go on unnoticed. Trees in the rainforest, making the air breathable, unnoticeable until one considers what must go into making it possible to simply breathe in and out, oxygenating blood, feeding the brain, which sends involuntary impulses to our lungs. Humble and unnoticeable. Deep and miraculous over time. It was this kind of deep mystery that was at work in the boy. Not simply that he breathed in and out, but that he noticed it. And from a very early age, it was clear that he noticed many things. He observed or intuited how things worked. Everything from the crude machines of his day, levers and pulleys, joinery and rammed earth structures, to what soils were best for growing flax or margarine. He understood not just the workings of the earth and the physical constructions of craftsmen, but also the systems of families and municipalities and empires and how they all worked, interacted, how they interacted and the influences they had on one another. For good or for not so much good, he saw how unclean spirits could seep in the minds and the hearts of men who wanted more and wanted something that seemed like importance. How the unclean spirits seeped in as a result of misdirection and a lack of hope or love or mercy. And as he grew in wisdom and stature, he did not use his knowledge, his ability 
to better his own place or the place of his family, he was content to work with his hands, to pray, to think, to observe, simply to be, simply being, gave him pleasure. Even his choice of a wife was thought to be a humble one. Everyone said that a successful builder could have married much higher. But he was not interested in following the expected, or you might say prescribed, path. She was very young and quickly gave him a son. And from the time his son could toddle, he never left his father's side. And his father taught him everything he had observed, preparing him. He told his son what the mysteries and the deep mercy would require of him. He trained his son as a carpenter, but much more importantly, he trained him in understanding the mechanisms of the human heart and the mind and the plotting of the human mind. Jesus' father spent much time, especially teaching him all that he had gleaned over his years, from conversations with travelers and official decrees of the workings of Rome, and especially of Octavian Augustus Julius Caesar. From a young age, this Roman had seized control of the former Roman Republic and built it into the Roman Empire. And you must pay attention how he did this, Joseph would tell his son. First he declared that his father, Julius Caesar, was now a god, and he put poets to work and philosophers to work, writing legends and songs about his father, the newly minted God. He said that he was born of a virgin, and that he himself was the son of God that would bring peace to the world. He called for miraculous public work projects, building aqueducts and canals all over the known world. And he provided even the lowest peasant with clean water. He dispatched armies and legions of Roman soldiers throughout the world to bring the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, that he had declared to the world. And he, he had established great legal and political systems to administer this peace. And it was declared that God, his father, had blessed him, making him the son of God, and Rome became powerful and prosperous, its dominion covering the entire world. But understand this, Joseph emphasized to his son Jesus, Rome does not prosper by blessings, the blessings of God, but through the taxes imposed at spear point on all the peoples of the world and all the backs of millions of slaves. The peace of this son of God, the peace of Rome is not peace, but order requiring armies and violence to uphold it. Now when Jesus was the age where he would be considered a man, his father unfolded for him a plan a notion, a calling, a story for him to live out. One of the kind of the deep mysteries, the deep mercy. One that does not come to completeness over weeks or months or years, but over thousands of years. Joseph said to his son, 
you will let it be known. But in the quietest ways, that you are God's son. And the peace that you bring to the world is true peace. You will not do this in the grand forms of the powerful, but in the hills, in the villages, at the countryside. You will not do this with power and might, but with quiet, mercy, patient, teaching, compassion. You will tell this story not to the rulers and the principalities of Rome and its empire, but to the peasants and the outcasts. And you will declare a peace that is not as the world gives, as Rome gives. That is a false peace brought out about by power and violence. But you will bring a true peace that is brought about by love and sacrifice. And in time, empires will rise and fall, built on their false peace by their false, false armies and laws. But your story, Joseph says to his son, the peace that you will declare will unfold slowly until no empires are left, until the only story that remains will be the one of love and mercy and a true peace that is beyond all comprehension. Jesus, having been taught by Joseph from the time he could walk, understood the deep sort of miracle immediately and with his father's guidance set about to fulfill his calling. It is a kind of miraculous love his father would tell, a deep and miraculous love that will produce that which is beyond comprehension. His father told him, I've seen it. I've seen it work. And you can trust that it will unfold. And you can live now in the confidence of what is to come. This is God's table and all are welcome. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and gave thanks for it and broke it. And gave it to the disciples to eat saying, take, eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this and remember me. And after supper, Jesus took the cup and he gave it for all to drink, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you and shed for all people for the forgiveness of sin. Do this and remember me. Jesus who died and is now gone above. Hallelujah, thy 
fill each heart with thy love. May soul be rekindled with fire from above. Christ, help you move forward, backwards, every way in mercy. And may the Spirit help the mercy sink into your core. Go in peace. Amen.